Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm glad you made it today. Hallelujah. Won't you just stand this morning, if you don't mind, one more time and grab your Bibles. We're going to jump right in here to the Word of God today. And um, just a couple quick highlighted announcements. Uh, ladies, you got your annual Christmas party coming up on December the 6th at 6 p.m. I think it's going to be at our house. My wife has been decorating, so something needs to go on there. So that's going to be at our house on December the 6th, which I think is a Sunday, Sunday evening. And so uh, I know my wife is getting prepared for that. You guys are going to have an amazing time together. Amen. Hallelujah. And also, uh, I just want to uh, just, I don't want ever us to get like it's a, a routine thing or we get comfortable or familiar with it, but I rejoice over the people that got saved last Sunday and the people that got baptized. I rejoice over that. I never, never take that lightly in the presence of the Lord when God begins. You know, the greatest miracle on this planet is a, is a, is a, is a transformed heart. When God begins to transform somebody's life. And so we rejoice for those who were saved. We rejoice for those who were baptized as well. Amen. Let me just give you a couple more quick announcements. Uh, this Tuesday and uh, Wednesday, we've shut down our campus because of uh, the Thanksgiving holiday that's coming up on Thursday. So there will be no prayer on Tuesday night, and there's no youth on Wednesday night. That's our way of just kind of breaking everybody away and letting them be with their families and things like that. So uh, you can still pray. We just won't pray here. So uh, that's we just won't have corporate prayer on that Tuesday night. We'll pick everything back up the following Tuesday also, next Sunday morning, uh, the Teen Challenge from, from Davie, Florida, the Ladies Teen Challenge, they're going to be in church with us, and we just had the service of the Lord here. Everything's going to be awesome, so they're going to be here, so we're looking forward to a great time together. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, how many of you brought your Bibles with you today? How many are ready for a little bit of the Word today? And I, I was just telling Pastor Porter, I, I feel like I've got feel like I got a word. I feel like God's been dealing with me over the last uh, couple of days. And uh, I want to go back to where we left off last Sunday. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 6. And I want to release something over your life today. And uh, also, we'll, we'll probably take some time at the end of the service and we're going to be praying. Uh, I know the news media has lost their ever-living mind. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you're not listening to the false prophets of Baal. Hope you're, hope, hopefully you're not eating at the table of Jezebel, because that's all that is. It's just full of lies. It's full of, it's full of deceit, uh, and it's really hard to find truth anywhere on the, on the airwaves. And so we just need to be careful what we're watching and listening to. But I do want to pray um, that, I mean, there, there is a little bit of factual things that are going on with the coronavirus. And I just, I just woke up today just declaring we are corona-free. It's corona free. No sickness and disease shall come nigh to my dwelling place. I, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to stand on God's word. I'm just going to believe the report of the Lord. Amen. And then we'll probably pray a little bit against what's going on in our nation and our government. How I many know that we need, we need righteousness to prevail? We need truth to prevail. We need every fraud, if there's any level of fraud that's going on, of course, they have evidence of that now. All that needs to be exposed. Everything, everything that's hidden in darkness needs to come to light. 
and and so that the the if if not then then our democracy has no chance your vote my vote won't ever matter ever again if it's not exposed so so there's we just need to pray for those that are working and it don't matter what party what line you're on I, I'm not talking about that if there's fraud there's fraud and it's on both sides if there's fraud it's it's been going on and they just need to find it amen so we're going to pray a little bit about that maybe Genesis chapter 6 Genesis chapter 6 Gonna read, I want to read a little bit here just because I'm going to highlight some verses to you out of Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to skip around a little bit, so just kind of hang with me there with the Bible. The, most of the scriptures will be on the screen for you. Uh, it's good to come to church and read your Bible. <laughs> Somebody said, I ain't read it all week. I know that's why you're in church today. It's good to come to church and read your Bible. So Genesis chapter 6, of course, it, it opens up with the whole corruption of mankind, and God is about to judge the earth, and he's having these conversations with Noah. And I want to pick it up in verse number 5, Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. Verse number eight, but Noah found favor or found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's a whole different world when you live in the face of God. Verse number nine, then all the records of the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man. He was, a, he was blameless in his time. And Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. That word violence is the same word for lawlessness. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted. All flesh had corrupted there upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of the flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and it shall cover the inside and outside with pitch. Verse number 15, this is how you shall make it. One translation says, this is how you shall build it. The length of the ark will be 300 and cubits, which is about 450 feet long. It shall be 50 cubits in its breadth, which is about 75 feet wide, and its height will be 30 cubits, which is about 45 feet tall. Verse number 17, behold, I am bringing the flood water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is on the earth shall perish. Verse number 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Verse number 22. Thus Noah did. Somebody say he did it. Come on, somebody say it like you mean it. Say he did it. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Look at chapter 7, verse number 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone. And I have, I have seen 
I have seemed to be righteous before me in this time. Notice that Noah got on board with what he built. He and his whole family, because God saw that he was righteous in his time. That word time is the word generation. God found somebody in that generation that was righteous. And everybody that was righteous got on board with what Noah built. It's important what you build in the earth today. Because whatever you build, the people that are connected to you can get on board and be saved. Now, now let me just show you something here. Go with me to Hebrews. I just want to kind of pick off on this just a little bit. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll open this thing up. Hebrews chapter 11, very familiar passage of Scripture, and I'm going to work hard to tie them all together today. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or framed by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Notice that by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Last verse, verse number 7. And by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared or built or made an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness which is according to faith. Notice that Noah saw something coming and he prepared for it. He saw something coming and he began to prepare for it. This thought came up in my heart several weeks ago. It's kind of our theme. And I just titled it this way, History Belongs to the Awakened. History Belongs to the Awakened. Can I just, like, like, put this in the atmosphere of your spirit today? God is wanting a people on this planet to build a movement where others can run to it and be safe. God's wanting to build a movement among his people so that the people on the outside can get in on the inside. Just push on somebody next to you. Say, I don't know if you know this or not. Just say, I don't know if you know this or not. But you might just be next to a history maker. I just want you to know, you just might be standing next to a history maker. You just might be standing real close, real close to a history maker. We are the hinge of history. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you today for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, the teacher, you're the revelator and the communicator of all truth. Thank you today, Lord, for the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit to breathe on people's lives. Thank you today, Lord, for open heavens. Thank you today, Lord, for causing your word to become engrafted into our hearts. Lord, it's the, it's the word of God that's able to save our soul. That's what your word says. So, Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, you're the teacher. You're the revelator and the communicator of all truth. Thank you for what you're going to do in hearts and lives today, all over this building, those that are listening online and those that are listening by radio. Lord, we thank you, and we give you praise for that today. In Jesus' name I pray. 
And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. In our text today, we find where Noah finds himself living in a very dark and difficult day. He finds himself right in the middle of not only chaos, but a whole lot of ugliness that's going on in his day. The entire earth had become so full of sin and evil, and the whole earth had been corrupted. Uh, the culture in Noah's day had become so godless and evil that God had literally put an expiration date on how much longer mankind was going to be able to live on this planet. The Bible says that the heart and the imagination of mankind was so wicked that there was no good to be found anywhere in the earth. Now, that's a pretty dark day when you can't find good nowhere. I mean, it's, we, we were living in some ugly days, but there's some good everywhere, every now and then, sometimes throughout our earth. Amen? But there, Noah was living in a day where there was no good that could be found anywhere. But in the midst of all the corruption and in the midst of all the lawlessness and the widespread of evil, the Bible says that Noah found favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was living in a culture that had totally pushed God out. He was living in a culture that had become so vile and demonically induced that in the midst of all of that evilness, the Bible says that Noah was a blameless man, Noah was a righteous man, and Noah was somebody who walked with God. That ought to give you hope today. It doesn't matter how bad our culture gets. It doesn't matter how far our culture runs away from God. God has always had somebody that could live out the life of God in a mixed up and crazy world and become blameless and upright in the eyes of God. So the understanding to our day is just this little bit of a foundation and we'll get to where we're going. The understanding of our day is that it's possible to be surrounded by evil. It's possible to live in a culture that's anti-God. It's possible to live in a culture where sin and darkness is everywhere. But it's possible to live in the darkest of the dark and still be righteous, still be blameless, and still have a testimony that you walk with God in the midst of everything that's going on around you. You see, the thing about what Noah does, Noah takes away our excuses. Noah takes away our excuses because the Bible says that the heart and the imagination of mankind was wicked and there was no good to be found anywhere and Noah was still upright. Noah was still righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't got that dark in your life yet. It hasn't got that dark on this planet yet. You can still live a righteous and a holy life in the face of God. And Noah was living in a time when the world was about to run out of God's grace. Grace was getting thinner by the day. And Noah was living in a time where the grace of God was moving away, but in the midst of that, Noah was, was able to find grace. <laughs> no, the same, it's the same word for favor. Noah was able to find favor in the midst of a dark world. When you live, he said he found favor in the eyes of God. And I said it a while ago, but when you live in the face of God, your life looks different. 
When you live in the face of God, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. There's something that's on the inside of you that keeps you in the midst of the mess. And I just want to say to this house today and those that are listening by airwaves or whatever, God is going to have a generation someday. I just pray that it's in my day. God is going to have a generation that one day will rise in the midst of a, of a culture that has totally rejected God and say we can still live in the face of God and still have a testimony in the midst of a crazy world. You can position yourself in the face of God and find some favor. For 120 years, that's what the, the, the expiration date became. God said, I'm, my spirit's not always going to strive with man. I'm going to give him 120 years. Before the flood, people lived up to be 800, 900 years old. After the flood, it got reduced down to 120. He said, for 120 years, for 120 years, I'm going to, after 120 years, I'm going to destroy the earth. But for 120 years, Noah was faithful to God. I know people who can't be faithful for 120 seconds. I know people who can't walk with God for 120 minutes. <laughs> I ain't got no amens in there. Y'all going to get quiet on me? It's going to get tough if y'all get quiet, I'm telling you. It, I, I know people that, that say they love God, they just can't live for God. I know people who quote scriptures on Facebook, but their life don't match up to what they quote. But Noah became faithful in his assignment. He became faithful in his consecration, and he became faithful in his devotion. So the question has to be asked of this generation, can we be found faithful in a polluted and contaminated world that's been corrupted by so much evil? Can we be found faithful in the midst of the darkness? Because if we can, the, Jesus said, those who endure to the end we'll be saved. I'm just laying a foundation. I'm going to preach this thing in a minute. If, if you can endure to the end, you can be saved. Sooner or later, in every heart of every family, there has to be somebody in that family that says, I'm going to build something for my family to get in. And I'm going to be faithful come hell or high water. I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to remain faithful no matter what the culture does. Watch this. I'm going to be faithful no matter who's in the White House. I know who's in my house. I'm going to be found faithful in the midst of darkness. I'm going to be found faithful in the midst of corruption. If the whole world gets corrupted, I'm going to be found faithful living out the wonderful works of God in my generation. Sooner or later, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be ready to preach this thing. Sooner or later, God is going to have a remnant on this planet that's going to rise up even when the whole world goes against God. Somebody's going to rise up and be found faithful. Somebody's going to rise up and have a testimony. Somebody's going to rise up and carry the holiness and the reverence of God in their life. Push on somebody and tell them you could be that person today. You could be that person. Let me show you something. Look with me in Matthew 24. I, want, I, I do have several scriptures that I, that I want to just expose to you today because I, I really want to preach this thing out, but I want to make sure that the foundation is tight in your life. Matthew 24, verse number 6. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. 
For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Come on, look at somebody next to you and say, it ain't yet the end. It ain't yet the end. It ain't yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, ethnos against ethnos, tribe against tribe, race against race, people groups against people groups. Are you following me? And the kingdom and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. In other words, something is trying to be born when you start seeing all this shaking going on. Something is trying to emerge when you see the darkness beginning to take place. Something is trying to come forth when everything becomes corrupted. Something is trying to emerge out of the realms of the darkness of the night when things begin to get bad. He says, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Look with me in verse number 10. And at that time, many will fall away. Translation, many will be offended. And they will betray one another and hate one another. Boy, if this ain't prophesying to the 21st century culture in America. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Come on, news agencies. Because lawlessness is increased, and most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Mm. Notice that in the midst of everything that is not right, this is not the time for the church to check out. This is time for the church to engage. This is the, this is the time for the church to say, hey, I was born for this hour. I was born for the day that I'm living in. I could have been born at any other given time in history, but God put me in this day. Come on, Noah. God put me in the day of the darkest day because God had enough faith in me that I could hold to be found faithful in the midst of it all. So in the midst of everything, I just want to give somebody some good news today. In the midst of all the bad you see, that's the indication that heaven is about to invade the earth. In the midst of all the corruption that is going on, that is the indication that there is about to be a violent move of God in the earth like this planet has never seen. I'm just trying to help you understand today that if you can grab a hold of what God is doing in the earth today, you will begin to see your family saved. You'll see your loved ones saved. You'll see everybody that's connected to you because you are building something that will outlast the trouble. You are building something that will outlast the problems that we are facing as a culture because at the end of the day, God is going to have a people that know how to build something so that everybody that's connected to them can get into it and be saved. They can be delivered. They can overcome in Jesus' name. Come on, push on somebody and tell them history belongs to the awakened. Y'all got to help me preach louder than that. Come on. History belongs to the awakened. Let me show you something here. History, history has a connection to it. If America doesn't experience the third or another great awakening, there's not going to be a whole lot of hope left. It's not beyond God. God, God. I mean, there's always hope in God. Don't misunderstand me. But beyond a third great awakening or another great awakening, apart from a sovereign act of God, there's not going to be any hope in our nation. 
Because our nation is headed down a slippery slope and it's going as fast and as hard as it can. Our nation is pushing God out as hard as it can. And the problem is not that the sinners are doing it. The problem is, is the church is in agreement with what the world is trying to do to God. But if the church could recognize and understand, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And God put us in here not to compromise, not to give in. Come on, somebody. There, there's got to be a remnant. There's got to be a fight. There's got to be something that rises up inside of you and say, my family is worth fighting for. My children are worth fighting for. My grandkids are worth fighting for. I've got aunts. I've got uncles. I've got nephews. I've got people that are in my surrounding that are worth me fighting for. For. And sooner or later, there's got to come this, I don't know, I don't know what y'all call I call it an attitude of faith. There's got to be an attitude in your faith that you begin to wake up and understand that the devil is playing for keeps. The devil is not your buddy. The devil is not going to get saved one day. The devil is never going to be a nice guy. The devil is playing for keeps. He is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life, and you might have it more abundantly. You can play with God if you want to, but Jesus said, I'm looking for a remnant. I'm looking for a people that are sold out to me and become blameless in the midst of a crazy culture. He's looking for somebody. So, 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 so we, have, we have to understand that, that, that in, apart from a, a, an awakening, come on, look at your name and say, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. You, you, listen, you've been in quarantine for eight months. You got to wake up. You, the, the world has shut us down, but what, the problem with the church is, is we shut our spirit down. We let our spirit match the natural. I heard Pastor Tina say that a while ago. We, 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 we've allowed our spirit to compromise the very thing that God needs on this planet to make a difference. So, 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 so God uses, I think, I don't know how you said it a while ago, but, but we're all God has. We, 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 we are, we, we, we is what we is. We are it. God don't have grandchildren. He has sons and daughters. What we don't overcome, the next generation will struggle through. And so there has to be this understanding that, that we are the church. So we have to be awakened to what God is doing in our day so that we can have maximum impact on our generation. Thank all three of you. We have to be awakened. And I just, I, listen, I'm your alarm clock. I'm your 5 a.m. alarm clock. I, I wish I had an alarm clock. I'd let it ring the whole time while I'm preaching. I am your alarm clock. You have been sleeping on the job. You have been AWOL in the midst of a battle. And this is the time for the church to regain its strength, to regain its power, and realize that we have been birthed into the kingdom for such a time as this. Because history, I'm going to show it to you now, history has a connection. Today is drawn out of yesterday. Tomorrow will be drawn out of today. Watch this. Look with me in Exodus. Let me just break it down a little bit more. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 
verse number five, you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. And I visit the iniquity of the fathers that are on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But I show loving kindness to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a connection to history. History has a past, present, and a future. There's a connection. He said, I'm going to visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. How many know that bad things can flow out of history? And God says, I, I visit the iniquity. Iniquity is not sin. It's the propensity to sin. It's that evil bent in us that causes us to sin. He said, I'm going to visit that iniquity that's been passed down through the bloodline. And I'm going to deal with it because bad things can flow through your history. Bad things can flow through your past. But good things can flow through your history. The blessings of the Lord can flow through your history. He said, I'll visit those ones that have kept my commandment to the thousandth generation. I'll put my blessing, I'll put my purpose, I'll put my favor on that generation. And it'll flow to the generations beyond that. If there are generations after generations in bondage, then that bondage if not dealt with, begins to pick up momentum and it becomes stronger down through the generations. It becomes stronger through the third and fourth generations. Understand today that when you have an entrenched iniquity, when you have the sins of the Father on a generation, when you have an entrenched iniquity or bondage, it gets harder to break because we become so culturalized to the dysfunction that we're in. If it doesn't get broken, then you'll start calling sin normal. That's why the media is pressing all this about pedophilia. There was a day when pedophilia was a no-no. Now they're trying to make it acceptable because it's just a degrading of man's heart. Because if, if it's not dealt with, it begins to pick up momentum. You, you, can have a, you can have a generational curse in your life, and you can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but if you don't draw the bloodline and say, that curse is not going to operate in my life from here on, that curse, you can be saved and love God, but that curse can flow down to the third and fourth generations that are coming behind you. But the moment you begin to stand up in the middle of the curse and say, not today, devil, I break the bloodline of the curse of a wrong bloodline that has been flowing through my family, and today I sever its head. Come on, David. Today I take Goliath down, and I begin to move in the blessings of the Lord. I begin to move my life forward by not giving agreement to the curse. It's the same way with the things of God. When the things of God have some continuity to it, has some momentum on it, it becomes stronger the further it gets. Whew, can you imagine if this generation in America would just become strong in God today 
how much more of the generation is coming behind us? What would their testimony be like if we became blameless in the midst of a culture that's gone crazy? If you're not careful, the preceding generation will take on the pain of the generation that's there. It begins to pick up momentum to the second and third generation. And then once momentum gets moving, it becomes sustained. This will be on the screen for you. The longer something is in the bloodline, the more momentum it picks up. Good or bad. Good or bad. You ever had somebody say, well, you do like your daddy. <laughs> That's in your bloodline. <laughs> well, you're always going to be an alcoholic. You're going to be like your great-great-granddaddy, your daddy. and it can, I'm just picking on dads. It can be women, too. It just stays in your family. You can love God, but if you don't break it, if you don't change the attitude of your heart, you can love God, but you can die sick. You can die broke. Because I'm going to get to where I'm going. Just stay with me. The longer something stays in the bloodline, the more normal it feels. The longer it stays connected to you, the more normal it becomes. And the more normal that it becomes, the more momentum it has. Because now you don't even fight it. I can't imagine what was going on in Noah's day when there was no righteous people on the planet, none to be found anywhere, but somewhere along the genealogy of Noah, he put his foot down, and even if there were bad curses in his family, he was looking at his children coming up behind him and saying, I'm going to stop it here. I'm going to build something here. I'm going to make something right here because I got little ones that are watching me. I got little ones that are following me. And for 120 years, you know, Noah preached righteousness. He preached that the coming judgment of God was coming to the earth, and he got nobody converted but except for his family. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, if the whole world misses it, but I get my family, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be satisfied as long as I get what I built for my family on board when, when, when there's a defilement let me just work it out a little bit further here when there is a defilement in the bloodline generational curses are released the earth watch this now the earth can get so defiled and it can stay that way for many generations what we're seeing played out in our culture today did not start in our lifetime as far as our, when we were old enough to know something about it. It literally started in the 60s. And the same people that were rebelling against God in the 60s are now controlling the White House. The people now have taken the laws of God and said, we don't want that. We want what we feel. Oh, Y'all not helping me today. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. And the earth, let's just say America, becomes so defiled. That's how demonic forces become more prevalent in some places than they are in other places. I've been to other parts of the world. Many of you have too. You can go into other parts of the world and you can feel darkness. You can feel demonic oppression. 
There's places in America that you can go and you can feel the heaviness of demonic forces. Because if it's not dealt with, it picks up momentum. And it stays stronger. Strongholds can develop in people and in places. So what we have as a task before us as a people of God, as a church, living in history, we have to connect God to what God wants to do for our future by the way we live our life. Where are all my amens at? God wants us to live our life forward in him. Okay, now watch this. Ephesians 4.27, this will be on the screen. That's why the Bible says, give no place for the devil. That word place is the, the, the Greek word topos, which literally means an opportunity, a seat, or a locality. Topos is where we get our word topography, which means region or territory. Say it like this. Don't give any territory to the devil. This will be on the screen for you. Whatever you surrender to, you will eventually serve. Listen, I just, I'm just picking on this a little bit because I just heard another report what's going on in California with the churches. Their, their governor there, in Cal, go, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, he just, they, they just came out, a judge there just came out and said, it's okay for strip clubs to be open but not the church. How perverted is that? My problem is not what the world is doing. My problem is what, what is the church doing? I, t- I, I told the guys in the green woman, most of y'all know me, I'd be in jail right now because I'd have the doors wide open. We'd be, they said, you can't sing, you can't pray. You watch, you watch. You have to haul us off to jail because sooner or later there's got to be a fight. Sooner or later the church has to rise up and say, we are not going to sit here and take this lay in town when we got a whole generation that is struggling to find out who God is. And we, got, we, and we got churches that have refused to get into the fight. And I just want to say, you're part of the problem. You're, you sit there and you act like this ain't no big deal. You are part of the problem. There is a generational curse on this land. And if we don't stop it, if we don't break the bloodline, that curse will flow into your children, into your children's children, and it will run for generations to come. But I just believe, oh my Lord, I wish I had a Hammond B3 organ. I just believe right now there's a remnant that's rising that says I refuse to be intimidated by a culture that I've been called to win. Refuse to be intimidated. Whatever you surrender to, you serve. You serve it. Well, I would never. No, you serve it. If you don't fight against it, you're serving it. In, in the positive sense, Jesus said, hey, if they're not against us, then they must be for us. If you're not against what's evil, then you are for it. No. Oh, Lord. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or framed by the word of God. Not only did God create the world, but the universe, the world that he's talking about there is broader than that. The world there, when he says that, that by faith God created the world, he's talking about the ages. It's the word ion. It's what the, world, the word world means in the Greek. It means ion. It deals with time. It deals with ages. It's more than just a physical thing. It speaks about the ages. It speaks about the time. So, so, so we understand that, that, that by faith we understand that time, the ages, 
were created or prepared. That word prepared, this will be on the screen for you as well, is the word katartizo. katartizo. Say that fast three times and you get the prize. It means to mend, to complete, to repair what has been broken or rent. It also speaks about connecting or joining together. So when you, when you break it down and you read it in the original text, the original Greek, by faith we know that the ages were connected to their proper positions by the word of God. The ages were connected together by the word of God. So, so, so God is not only the one who starts something, but he's the only one who's ever starts at the end. The Bible says in Isaiah 46.10, he knows the end from the beginning. He said, he said, I declare the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that have not been done, says the Lord. My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So, so God's the only one on the planet ever, in the heavens ever, who finishes something before he starts it. He finishes something before he ever does anything. So God is, you have to understand this about God. God is not trying to figure out what to do. He's not trying to see, oh, what can I do now? He's not trying to figure out what needs to be done. God never gets around to it. It's already done. God never decides anything. It's already been decided because he cleared the end from the beginning. So God finished something before he started something. God never makes up his mind. His mind is already made up. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's already declared what it will be. It's already, be done. It's already been done. But he's got to have a remnant that can become the amen of heaven and the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven. He's got to have a willing vessel that gets in cooperation with what's already been declared. He has to have somebody on this side of heaven that says, I can hear, I can see what God is doing. It's already been done. I can see it in my spirit. I can see it in the heavenlies. I may have to walk through hell and high water. I may have to step over a crazy culture that has rejected God, but he's already declared what this thing's going to look like. He's already promised what this thing's going to look like, and I just got to be faithful enough in the midst of the craziness. Oh, Lord. Cartarsis. Hebrews 11, 3, he's connecting the ages. Or he's reconnecting something. That's what that word means. Catartizo is the word picture of like the setting of a bone or the realignment of something. It takes what's out of alignment and brings it into alignment. If it's dislocated for your arm, for example, if your arm is dislocated, it can't function at full capacity. If your arm is dislocated, it can't function at the level that it was designed. That's catartizo. So what God has to do, he has to frame it. He has to prepare it. He has to put it back together. He has to connect it back up. 
so that when the bones get set, there's power, there's strength that comes back to that arm. What God is doing in the earth, he's reconnecting his church back to something that he's already declared. We've been disjointed. We've been disoriented. And we've been disorganized. But that's a catartizo anointing on the church. Because God said, I am framing what I've already declared to be so. And you just got to get it mended. You have to get it fixed so that you can finish out my purposes on this planet. Is this too heavy for y'all? Is this all right? So through the iniquity of the fathers, something happened in our history. And instead of being a blessing that's been flowing, now we're dealing with a curse. The iniquity of the fathers did something, and it got contaminated in the bloodline. And unless this generation rises up and breaks it, it will gain momentum to the next generation. Unless you get serious about your walk with God and not just be a Facebook prophet, until your lifestyle begins to match up with what you prophesy on Facebook, <laughs> until, you, until you quit praising God with one hand and cussing somebody out in the other hand, until you finally get to a place in your life where you are blameless, you are sold out, you are going for God. It's not that you're going to be perfect. It's not that you're always going to be made right. But there's a, there's a development in your heart that says, I can't live that way. I can't stay that way. I can't be that way. I can't keep cheating. I can't keep lying. I have to be who God called me to be. So, so watch me. So when God wants to move a life or move a nation forward, Someone has to reach back and repent for the sins of the father. Daniel did it. Jeremiah did it. Nehemiah did it. Y'all heard all this that was going on in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people would you call by my name? Well, the reason why that became so popular in the last few months is because somebody has to reach back and repent. I wasn't there when they did it, but I had to repent on behalf of a nation. And some of you have to repent on the behalf of your family members that put the curse in your family. You have to repent and you got to say, Father, God, forgive us for allowing darkness to enter in my family tree. Oh. Someone has to be the vessel. Someone has to be the vehicle that God uses to realign everything that's out of order. Speaking corporately here, you can make that happen personally, but I'm speaking corporately. The church corporately has to get a, re, get a readjustment. Jeff was telling me the other day on the phone, he went to the chiropractor the other day. He said it sounded like fireworks going off in there. They were snap, crackling, and popping everywhere. He's getting what? Readjusted. To the point that, it, like, man, that, that sounds loud, right? That's, that's almost scary. Didn't know my neck, my back could pop like that. You don't know how bad you're out of line. You don't know how bad the church has been off. Because when the church can wink at sin and act like it ain't no big deal, we are way off. When the church can, 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 can politicize movements in the earth that are anti-God, we have missed the mark somewhere. So for the past 50 years, I'm going to preach in a minute. Y'all still with me? I'm getting to where I'm going. For the past 50 years or so, 
most of Christianity has done its best to fit the American culture into the church rather than fitting the church into the culture. This will be on the screen for you. Christianity has been prevalent but not powerful. So what we need is we need the, the, the solution to that is we need another spiritual awakening. That's why we meet down here on Tuesday nights. We're crying out for God. Because this ain't a game. This ain't a game. I, 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 look at, I look at these little kids in children's church and I look at my own grandkids. I'm like, boy, this ain't a game. Well, if the devil can train wreck their life, he will. God has never called us to fit into the culture but to be the example of his, of his greatness in it. Here's the argument. Well, it's just too hard. Sin's too prevalent. No. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Grace is not a license to do sin. Grace is a license to empower you from sin. So what God does is he touches people in every generation that becomes known as the hinge of history. Every generation has always had a remnant that had to be awakened to what God wanted to do because he's already declared it. He's just got to have somebody to live it out. He said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth in 120 years. I've already declared it, but you've got to live it out. You got to back your life up and you got to walk it all the way through and you got to hold to my promises. You got to hold to the word of God. Isn't it something that we live in a culture that we don't want to hold to anything except for what we like? Isn't it amazing that we're living in a nation that has just re repeatedly pushed God away, but we want the blessings of the Lord, we just don't want the lifestyle of God? So th this will be on the screen. I know I gave it to you that last week, but I'm, I'm fitting it into a different category. Thomas Carlyle said, the destinies of societies are shaped by great men and women who act boldly in key times. So we've got to have some bold people. God doesn't start movements. He touches people who are in pursuit of him that create movements. The Methodist church was founded and started by John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley in the preaching of George Whitfield in the 1700s. God didn't start the Methodist movement. He touched people that started it. God didn't start the Salvation Army. He touched a man by the name of William Booth who created the movement with the Salvation Army. Remember when David went against Goliath? And David said, is there not a cause? You remember that? That word cause is a real strong Hebrew word. It has several different meanings. Please don't check out on me because I'm, I'm going to try to get to where I'm going in the next few minutes. It's a strong Hebrew word that has several meanings, not only meaning something to fight for or maybe even something to die for, but that word cause literally means history. David literally could have been saying to his brothers, is there not a history here? <laughs> Are there not some promises that came out of our past that God said about our future? Are there not some promises over Israel? Are there not some blessings over Israel? Why do we have to cower to the giant of our day? Is there not a history attached to what God has already said? He just needs a vessel to get on the battlefield and wind up their sling and sling it at a giant that's coming to intimidate the whole world? 
Is there not a history here? David may have been saying it this way. History will include what happens on the battlefield today. Can you just imagine that in your own life? What you do on the battlefield today is going to determine what your history will look like. If you don't become the man or the woman of God in this generation with all the pressure, with all the vile and the corruption and the things that are going, if you don't survive it now, don't think you'll survive it later. Don't think that you'll make it sooner or later because if you don't survive it now, while there's grace on this house, while there's grace on your life, David said, what we do today is history. Man, I love that. I want to shout it to the rooftop. What we do in our generation is history. Is there not a cause? Is there not a history attached to what God wants to do? Hmm. First Samuel chapter 17, the whole story of David and Goliath, the Bible says the battle took place in Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. They were fighting in the Valley of Elah, but they were in the territory of Judah. Judah where they were at, that territory belonged to God. They belonged to Judah. You know that David's from the tribe of Judah? So the t- first two verses of that whole fight that's about to go on is an indication of why David said we got to win this battle because this land belongs to God. Whew. In essence, David is saying this land was given to me by God. And he's telling the giant, you can't have it. Come on, America. Shouldn't we be saying back to the enemy, this land was dedicated to God 240-something years ago, and you think you're going to march up in here and push God out of it? You, got to, you must have lost your ever-living mind. We've got enough fight on the inside of us. Have you ever noticed that when David went against Goliath, he never called him by his name? It's never mentioned in scriptures that David called him Goliath. He always called him, you uncircumcised Philistine. Can you imagine in our day two boys about to fight? You ugly. Your mama ugly. Well, you uncircumcised. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Because being circumcised was a sign of the covenant. So in essence, David was saying, you've already lost, giant. I'm circumcised. You're not. I'm in covenant with God, and you're not. The battle has already been fixed, and it's in my favor. I'm going to win this battle because I showed up. I didn't show up to lose. I showed up because God put it in me to fight that which is against God. And sooner or later, we got to have a generation that says, I'm circumcised. I'm in the covenant with God. I'm in the blessings of God. I'm in the favor of God. You're not devil. You're not enemy. You're not going to take me out. I'm going to take your plans out. I'm going to take your schemes out because God has anointed me for this day. Hallelujah. Push on somebody. Tell them we're the hinge of history. 
Now, I'm just going to say something to some of y'all. It don't have nothing to do for me because I'm going to preach whether you sit there or not. I don't care. I'll, I preach to empty chairs in prisons my first 10 years of ministry. I don't care if you say nothing or do nothing, but I'm just saying that's the problem. That's the problem. You don't get engaged with what God is doing. You don't get engaged with what God is saying. And we don't. if we don't rise, if you don't realize that there's a history at stake, if you don't realize there's a cause at stake, you will keep passing down generational curses to the next generation after you. We're the hinge of history. <laughs> something else David did, and I know we got to go, but something else David did. I'm trying to get to Noah. But the Bible said that, that when David got to the battlefield in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 17, 40, he grabbed his staff. Thought he killed Goliath with a slingshot or a sling. He did. But the Bible says on the way to the battlefield, he grabbed his staff. Why would he grab his staff? Well, he knows he's not going to club Goliath to death. He's not going to beat Goliath with a stick. But in that day, people would carve their history on their staff. You could look at a staff of somebody from that day, their shepherd's rod or their staff, and it would have words or pictures that told of their history. And that, in essence, David was saying, I'm going to the battle line, but I'm bringing my history with me. <laughs> What's your history, David? Well, David, this is, this is my history. This is what David had to be saying. This is my history. There was one day I was out tending to my father's sheep, and one day a lion comes slipping down out of the hills, and he tried to take one of my father's sheep, and I rose up, and I struck the lion, and I killed him. And then there was another day when a bear came along, and he tried to kill one of my father's sheep, and I rose up, and I struck the bear. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be no match for God because I've got a history in one hand, and I've got a weapon in my other hand hand and Judah belongs to God this land belongs to God and I'm going into the fight with an attitude that God has already declared the end from the beginning and all I have to do is walk out the promises of God become blameless in my generation become upright in my generation and watch the giants fall Woo! I got a history I got a history David was saying, I've got a history. I made a demand on the covenant that I have with God. I made a demand on my history. I made a demand on my covenant. You think for a moment this foul mouth, uncircumcised hater of God and God's people and God's movement is going to stop the movement of God. You are on the wrong battlefield. Can I say to the American church, if you think for a moment evil is always going to triumph over in our land, you are in the wrong battlefield because the church is still alive. The church still has power and the church is still going to operate according to the will of God because somewhere God is going to have a remnant. Some of y'all in here today need to grab your history. You need to remind the devil, look what the Lord has done. <laughs> I should have been dead a long time ago. I should have been out on crack a long time ago. I should have been OD'd a long But look what the Lord has done. God has fought for me. God has stepped in the middle of the battle for me. 
let me just give you this last one. I'm trying to get to know David goes. I got stuck on David. That's why I'm picking on David right now because I got to studying it out. Late last night, it's like, man, this stuff really, it's like it, it was coming alive. David goes to the brook, and he grabs five smooth stones. This will be on the screen for you. That, that word brook is the word nachow or nakao, however you want to say it. It gets this etymology. It means to possess or to cause to inherit. It means inheritance. You think it means water or stream or waterways, and it does. But it's etymology. The root system of that word, nakao, literally means inheritance. In fact, when you look it up, the, the same Hebrew word definition for brook is the same Hebrew word definition for its etymology. I don't think God just puts anything in there just to put something in there. I believe there's a purpose behind his word. So now... Why would the word brook mean inheritance? Well, in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language is a, is a picture language. Words paint a picture. You can set that picture in a context and determine or interpret what is being said within that context. Because that's what the Hebrew language does. It puts a word inside of a context and it gives you a picture. So the word brook means to possess something which gives you the ability to control or determine whichever direction you want it to go, just like a river. The river, the banks of the river determine the flow of the water. The Bible says God can change a man's heart like the channels of a river. He can turn it whichever direction he wants it to go. Oh, Lord. So in the context, watch this now, the brook in the land controls the direction of the water. That's in context. The water is the word of God. So we have an inheritance, a brook, and we control which way we're going to go with it. I lost half of y'all right there. So when you put it in the symbolism of the passage, David grabs his history with one hand and he leans over into his inheritance with the other hand. I'm coming against Goliath not because I feel like I got it together. Not because I'm cocky. I'm just confident because I got my history in one hand and I'm putting my inheritance in the other hand. <laughs> And I'm coming against Goliath with my inheritance in front of me and my history behind me. Some of you need to know that's what some that's problem the, the problem part of the problem with the church. We we don't pick up our history and we don't reach for our inheritance and we just try to survive the day. But the moment the church begins to realize I've got history and inheritance and I pull them together and I defeat whatever is coming against me. Ooh. Because history belongs to the awakened. David was saying, this is my land. You're standing on it. You're trespassing. I don't know if you don't. I've stood in my home. Karen and I both have. We've stood in our home when things were not right, things were going against us. We've stood in our home and we said, this is our house, devil. <laughs> I know some of y'all are way too sophisticated for me. That's why you ain't moving. 
But sometimes you got to get so fed up with the devil that you'll speak back to the devil. There's been times I walked in my children's bedroom when they were living in my house and I'd lay on their bed for hours and I'd cry out to God and I would say, the world can't have them. The world will not get them. The world will not have enough power over my children. I bind the generational curses that are trying to move through the bloodline because I've got a history and I've got an inheritance and I'm going to fight for them. Glory to God. You don't need perfection. You just need to be awakened. Can you imagine David looking at Goliath? We don't know what's all conveyed on that battle line, but I can imagine, this is my own imagination. I'm not saying it's the Bible. I'm just, David's looking at, I mean, we do know some things. He says, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. The problem that we have here on this battlefield, I'm sure he's looking at his brothers. The problem we got here on this battlefield is y'all been camping out and hiding. Y'all forgot your covenant and your inheritance. And the problem why, why, this, why this shock soldier, that's another name for Goliath, why this shock soldier has kept you in hiding for the past 40 days is because you won't get on the battlefield with your history and your inheritance and the enemy has kept you hidden. I'm just trying to tell you, you think this quarantine is by accident? The enemy is trying to keep you hidden for some more time because the enemy recognized had it not been for the Lord on our side, we don't know where we would be or what we would do. You got to grab it and fight for it. I told you last Sunday, I, I gave you the, the, the clip with Rocky, Rocky Three. This is what I, I, I'm not going to do all that again, but the worst thing that could ever happen to a believer is that you become civilized in your faith. You become refined and cultured, sophisticated in your faith. And what the world needs now is raw, untamed faith. We need somebody that's not afraid of demons. We need, some, we need somebody that's not afraid of intimidating governmental policies that are anti-God. We need somebody that ain't going to be political, but going to be prophetic. I'm going to close with this. Pastor Porter, if you, if you guys want to come, let me, just, let me just give you this. Don't miss what I'm about. Two minutes here, and I'm done. God is not trying to reclaim the culture. You have to understand that. God is not trying to reclaim the culture. He wants to influence it, yes. But what he's trying to do is reclaim the church. It's not trying to re the, the world is going to be the world. All we can do is influence it. And the more we influence, the less evil it becomes. But you're never going to live in a perfect Christian community until you get to heaven. I'm sorry, I busted your bubble. If I could just work in a Christian environment, everything's, I, I promise you it won't be all right. <laughs> well, if the world could just love Jesus, yeah, that would be all right, but it ain't going to do it. So God's not trying to reclaim the culture. He's trying to reclaim the church to take a stand and take on the persecution that's coming to the church and to act boldly. We've lived in a nation where we never had to really suffer persecution for our faith. But ladies and gentlemen, your religious freedoms are hanging by a thread. They are literally hanging by a thread. And you, we, we, we don't know what persecution is, but it's coming. 
it's coming. And God's not trying to reclaim the culture. He's trying to reclaim the church. Because you got to stand in the midst of the persecution and still be godly and still be blameless and still walk with God. It's coming. It's coming. Jesus, in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 2, Jesus told the church at Sardis, he said, you got to wake up and you got to strengthen what remains. Wake up and strengthen what remains. The church in Sardis had become so lackadaisical in the culture to the point that the culture was overcoming the church. And Jesus puts a message in their face. And he says, you got to wake up and you got to strengthen what remains. He wasn't getting on to them for not reaching the culture. He was getting on to them for letting the culture reach them. Straighten up. Wake up. Because it's coming. This will be the last thing. Author, this will be on the screen. Author Schlesinger. He was an advisor to President Kennedy in the 60s. He said, history is to the nation much as memory is to the individual. The individual who loses his memory doesn't know where he came from or where he's going, and he becomes dislocated and disoriented. If we as the people of God, if we lose our history, other people will tell us who we are. If we as the people of God, I'm telling you because the world will wash the word down. And if we as the people of God lose our history, other people are going to frame our world. If we as a nation lose our history, they will tell us what we can and can't do. But history belongs to the awakened. Come on, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Y'all got turkey on your mind. I got, I, got, I got movements on my mind. I've got movements on my mind. I've, I've, got, I've got a movement on my mind. I know we can't wait to have a turkey day, but ladies and gentlemen, after turkey day, you better have a movement coming into your family. You better be building something that your family can run into. Because history belongs to the awakened. Noah built something that lasted through the judgment. The only thing that's going to last through the judgment over your family's life is what you build. You better be building something that they can get into and be secured by because it's coming. Several years ago, when Vanessa was in South Africa doing an internship there at a major church there in Pretoria, South Africa, Karen and I had an opportunity on multiple times to go on hunting safaris because I was really good friends with one of the staff pastors, and he actually owned the safari. And he told us, I didn't understand it then, I came back and I researched it out. He said there are some of these animals in the bush that you see, and in, in, in particular the, the gazelle, the, the gazelle animal has little markings like right on their ears. Just it's a distinct mark on their ears. And, and and when the mature gazelles are out in the grass, the bush feeding, sometimes the little fawns are the the baby gazelles. Because the grass is so high they, they can't see the whole mom or see the whole dad. They just see 
they just see maybe a little movement in the bush because it's so thick. But And that mom or dad, that mature gazelle will be feeding along. And it begins to blend into the environment to the point that the little gazelles can't even see them. But there's this little marking on the back of their ears that when danger begins to approach, that mature gazelle will throw his head up as high as it can. And that little baby will see the markings. And it signals to the baby, at, at the way they throw their head up and cock their ears, it signals to the baby, to the little gazelle, to the fawns, that there's some danger coming. And you got to go the opposite direction so you can live. There's a distinction on the mature gazelles that preserves the life of the next generation. Mom and dad, do you have a distinction on your life? Do you have a mark on your life? That, that, that when your little ones see you and they see evil coming, do they know that they got to run in the opposite direction because they see the mark of distinction on you? Or have we placated to the world so much that we just blend in with society? There's got to be a mark on your life. There's going to have to be a mark on this generation or we're going to lose an entire generation. There's got to be a mark. Mom, dads, there's got to be a mark. There's got to be a distinction on your life. I don't, I don't, I'm not perfect by any stretch. My kids will tell you. My wife will tell you. Just don't ask her. She'll give you a list. But I can say for this, for this husband, for this dad, for this papa, for this son, I'm not, I'm not always been perfect, but you know what? I've given God everything I got. I give God everything I got every single day that I wake up, every time I got breath in my lungs. I don't make it all the time. I'm not right all the time. I'm not perfect all the time, and I'm missing it all the time. But my heart is towards him. And I pray that at the end of my life, when my life is said and done, I hope my kids can walk by me. I hope my grandkids can walk by me and say, he gave God his entire life. He, gave, he preached and he lived out what he preached because there's got to be a mark. There's got to be a distinction on your life. If not, the next generation are going to be devoured. The next generation is going to be devoured. And I just hear the Lord calling on this generation right here. I can't speak to the world, but I can speak to this house. I believe God's raising up some hinges to history right here in this house. People that are going to live with a mark of God. You don't have to wonder if I'm a Christian. Let me say one sentence and you're going to know where my life is at. You're not going to have to figure out if I, well, does he, is he saved or unsaved? You're going to know. Come on all over this building. Lift your hands right there. Come on, lift your hands. Just lift your hands and just say, God, I want to be that hinge. I want to be that hinge. Come on, I want to be the hinge. I want to be the hinge. I don't want to just live in the environment, but I want to be able to recognize. I want to be able to recognize Noah built something that he saw coming. He built for something that he saw coming. Being warned by God in reverence to God, he built an ark. Can you see something coming over your family? Can you see something coming over the generations? Come on, say, God, let me build something for you. Let me build something for you. Let me build something for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I just feel God wooing us. Come on, just say, God, here I am. Here I am. I'm going to build it for you. 
build a life. I'm going to build a hope. I'm going to build a future. I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it, God. I'm going to build my life. something he knew nothing about to survive what he had never seen. Professionals built the Titanic and it sank. Noah was an amateur and he built the ark and it overcame. He built something he knew nothing about to survive what he had never seen. He never, he never seen a boat, and it's never rained. But he prepared something. What are we preparing today? What are we connecting to? decisions I make today determine how I live tomorrow. How I walk today determines what my walk looks like tomorrow. Every day matters. Every day counts. For 120 years, Noah picked up a hammer and he kept building. Wow. How long do I have to be like this? Until it gets built. All over this building today, won't you bow your heads? There's a mark of distinction. It's coming over this generation. It's a mark of distinction. Because I'm building my life today. Maybe you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe he's not the Lord over your life. Maybe he's just a part-time God just when you need something. But you know you got to get it right today. Maybe you did at one point, but now you're in a backslidden condition and you just say, you know what, today 
I don't know what it is. I feel this tug in my heart. I feel something. I feel something today. Maybe you need to repent. You need to make it right with God. Or maybe you've never done that and you need to. Because what you do today determines what, what and how you will live tomorrow. Maybe you're in this place today and you just say, man, I don't know, but I want to, I want to make that decision today. Two types of people in this room today, those that are born again, and those that are lost, those that are on their way to heaven and those that are not, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and those who don't. You're in this place today and you say, you know what, preacher, I just, I need to get it right. I'm not asking you to join this church or be a part of this fellowship. I'm just asking you to make a decision to live for Jesus. If that's you in this place today, won't you do something really bold? It's going to take bold and courage. Won't you just throw your hand up right where you are so that God can see it and say, I need to make that decision today. I see your hand. God bless you. I will make that decision. I see your hand. God bless you. I see them. Hands are going up. I appreciate it. Thank you. I see them. I thank you. But more importantly, God sees it. That's the, that's, that's the bottom line. God sees it. Hands are going up. There's five, six maybe hands that went up. Because you're making the decision today. Because what, what you make today determines how you live tomorrow. I'm going to build my life that's going to mean something. I'm going to build my life that's going to bring my family closer to Jesus. At the end of the day, I want my family saved. At the end of the day, I want my family in heaven. At the end of the day, I want to live a life for God. One more time, I'm going to scan the audience one more time. You say, that's me, preacher. I just got to make that confession. I got to make that prayer. I feel boldness. It's going to take boldness to live for God in this generation because the whole world is against you. Come on, Noah. The whole world. The whole world is against you. The whole world is criticizing you. The whole world is mocking you. I'm making it today. I thank you for your hands. I thank you. I thank you. Now I'm going to ask you to do one more thing because you wouldn't have raised your hand if you didn't mean it. You wouldn't have done that if you didn't have no indication or any any level of consciousness that you weren't going to do it. You raised your hand because you wanted to live for Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to take just... 30 seconds and pray a prayer with me right here at the altar. The church is going to rejoice. Everybody's going to rejoice, but you raised your hand. Come on. Step out of your seat. Step out of your chair and just meet me right here. Come on. You got to be moving right now. Start moving right now. Just meet me right here. Just meet me right here. That's it. Come on, guys. Just meet me right here. Just stand across the front right here, guys. Thank you. Come on, church. People are just coming. They're just making their way. They're coming. Come on, you raised your hand. Come on, there's a few more. We're just going to give you about five seconds. Come on. Come on, we're going to make a decision today to live for Jesus Christ. I'm turning away from my world. I'm turning away from what I've known. And I'm making a decision. Come on, man. Come on, brother. Help me pray. Help me pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You guys look at me just for a moment, please. Just everybody, just look at me just for a moment. First of all, I want to commend you. It takes a whole lot of courage to walk in front of a bunch of people that you don't know. It takes a whole lot of courage to live for Jesus in a world that don't like you. It takes a whole lot of courage. And if I were to say from this day onward things are going to be easy, I'd be lying to you. It's not going to get any easier, but there's going to be a special grace now. There's going to be a newfound grace that's going to come over your life. And when you feel like quitting, when you feel like giving in, that grace is going to kick in. The power of God is going to empower you. And you won't live in your past, but you're going to grab your history, and you're going to reach for your inheritance, 
and you're going after the enemies of your life and you're going to slay your giants. There's an anointing on you to break the powers of sin and struggle. There's an anointing on you to tear down the walls that the enemy wraps you up with. And so today I'm just going to pray a 30-second prayer, even if that long. But I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. But you have to confess with your mouth. You don't believe in your head. You believe in your heart, but you have to confess with your mouth. You have to invite him in. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The whole church is going to pray. Pastor Porter and the worship team, they're going to be praying behind me. Everybody's going to be praying this prayer. But this prayer is directed to you because you're making a stand today. You're taking a stand to live for God. So this is a sign of surrender all over the world. If you throw your hands up, you say, I surrender. That's a sign of all over the world. What you're saying right now, throw your hands up. Say, I'm surrendering to God. I'm surrendering my life to God right now. So pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, in the name of Jesus I come to you just like I am. I come to you just like I am. And I'm asking you today, and I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. And I'm asking you today, asking you today to empower my life with your grace, with your favor, and your mercy. Help me to live my life that will be pleasing to you. And I thank you today that from this day forward, I've been born again. My heart is right. I'm going to walk to a different drumbeat because Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. There's a mark of distinction that's coming on this generation. We're not going to eliminate persecution. I'm not a doomsday preacher. Y'all know me. I've been preaching this stuff for over 20 years. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not a, I'm not a doomsday prophet. I believe God keeps us in the midst of the craziness. But you ain't going to stop it from coming. But God's going to have a remnant that can walk to the battle line and say, I'm going to live for God. And I'm going to grab my history, and I'm going to reach for my inheritance, and I'm going to overthrow the enemies of my life. God's going to have a generation, come on, Noah, that's going to live in the midst of the craziness and build something for the glory of God so that people around them can be saved. If that's you and you say, I'm believing for the mark of God on my life, throw your hands up right there. Throw your hands up and say, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, mark us for your glory. Mark us for your purpose. Mark us for the generations to come. God, that our life will be lived out, that our life would be the example. And God, that we will refuse to give in. And God, we thank you today. Lord, I thank you for a remnant that's rising in the earth. 
I thank you for a remnant that's marching towards the mercies of God. It's a remnant that's coming on the battlefield. It's a remnant that says I can be blameless. It's a remnant that says I can live for God. God, empower us. Mark us today. And Father, we thank you. And we give you praise. And we give you glory now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, can we just give God a big shout of praise? Come on, can we just give him a big shout? A big shout of praise. Come on, just praise him like you know the battle has already been won. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the end, we win. Look at somebody next to you and just tell them, you're part of that remnant. You're part of that. You're the hinge of history. I know I've really violated my time today, but thank you. I had to get to a point today before I let you go. But you know what? The world's getting darker, but the church has got to get brighter. I know, I know we're accustomed to getting out at noontime, but ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's don't put markings on God where we control what God wants to do. I don't know how many, six or seven, maybe eight people, however many just gave their life or rededicated their life to Christ. It's worth every moment that we've stood in here for. It's a fresh journey, a new commitment. Father, I speak over your people. May they have an incredible week. Got to come against the coronavirus. Nothing will come against them. Nothing will be attached to their home, to their family, to their loved ones. I break the spell of coronavirus. I break the attachment of a disease over people's life. Lord, I break it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I declare over their life they're corona-free. They're corona-free. Sickness and disease cannot come nigh to my dwelling place. I'm the anointed of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you today that the elections, over the elections over our government, Lord, thank you that the Jezebels are going to be exposed. Lord, I thank you today that fraud... And, and deception will be exposed. God, I thank you that 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 the, the powers of darkness is about to be exposed and they're coming into the light of your glory. God, I thank you that the Ahab and the Jezebels, I thank you that Jezebel's table is about to be destroyed. I thank you that the influence of Jezebel is coming down. I thank you for courage over our government. I thank you for courage over our authorities. Thank you for courage over righteousness. May they move swiftly. May they act swiftly. May the judgment of God fall across the governments of our day so that we can have a secure land, so that we can have a secure place. God, we pray for peace in this nation. We pray for peace in our streets. Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor, and we give you honor today for who you are. We thank you today for what you're going to do, and we give you praise now in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. 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 Hug on somebody. We love you. Have an amazing day. Happy Thanksgiving.